This is an E-Impulse miniseries, Push Dose Pearls, with your hosts, Sarah Medeiros and Julia Magana. Welcome back to E-Impulse. We're here for another episode of Push Dose Pearls, our ongoing series of brief podcasts addressing the questions that we all have regarding meds in the ED. And today we're going to talk about insulin in the emergency department. We're here again with Chris Adams. So Chris, this comes up a lot in our ED. How do we best treat hyperglycemia? This is an area that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when uh, I was 33. And so for me, this has been an ongoing area where I've had to learn myself. And realistically, uh, this is an area that I think that a lot of healthcare professionals could use a, a little bit of help with. <laughs> so let's talk about it. So in the ED, hyperglycemia, very common, obviously. And so the traditional standby was the use of regular insulin, whether it be IV or subcutaneous. And in the last probably decade, it's become very clear that the use of regular insulin is really not what we should be doing. And that's probably going to come to a shock for a lot of providers out there, but there's just a lot of variability with regular insulin. And so we are trying to steer everyone away from the use of regular insulin, regardless of whether it is IV or subcutaneous. Now, that's specifically for hyperglycemia management. If we're talking about DKA or, or hyperkalemia, different story, obviously. But for hyperglycemia management, no more regular insulin. So what are you suggesting for hyperglycemia, non-DKA? How do we approach this? What's our level that we start to get concerned at in a patient? And walk us through what a good sliding scale would look like. In general, we should be using rapid-acting insulin. So that's Novolog or Humalog. So in these patients, it can be challenging to initiate some kind of insulin uh, management. And so knowing when the right time is, that's really important. So generally speaking, for most medicine patients or critically ill patients, the idea is that you would initiate therapy in a patient who has a blood glucose of over 180 milligrams per deciliter. Or if you happen to have an A1C that's greater than 10, in those situations, it would be necessary to initiate some type of insulin. Now, it kind of depends on how much to start and when to start. But in general, I would always recommend if your institution has some kind of order set or pre-built thing that you can use to help make these decisions easier, trying to navigate these waters without some kind of decision-making tool, that can be challenging. So for most diabetic patients, especially type 1 patients, you are frequently going to need a basal insulin regimen. Type 1s definitely. In those situations, deciding on how much basal depends on whether the patient was on a basal insulin to begin with or if they were not. If they were not on a basal insulin to begin with, it may be unnecessary to start one. And so generally speaking, we would recommend just starting a correctional sliding scale of somewhere between 1 to 20 units based on whatever their spot or POC glucose would be. If they were on basal insulin prior to admission, at that point, you could just recreate whatever regimen they were taking. So if they were on 10 units of Lantus prior to admission, restarting that, maybe reducing it by, say, 10 to 20 percent would be a reasonable place to start. If you don't know what their basal regimen was, but they were on it prior to, that can be kind of challenging because then you're, you're talking about like uh, using a weight-based dose, somewhere between like 0.2 up to 0.3 units per kilo of basal insulin. 
Now, in addition to basal insulin, obviously we need this rapid acting insulin. So uh, oftentimes it would be Novolog or Humalog. Those can take the form of nutritional insulin plus a sliding scale correctional scale. So nutritional insulin can be a sliding scale that's generally given depending on how much carbohydrates the patient takes during a meal, or it can be a set dose that the patient takes every single meal. And generally speaking, that can be a dose that is, again, decided upon using your decision support tools that you have at your institution. And same thing with that sliding scale for correctional. So in general, basal insulin always needed in a type one diabetic, always. For type two diabetics, Depending on what their presentation was like, they may or may not need basal insulin. But for both patients, type 1 or type 2, you would always or generally need a correctional sliding scale plus a nutritional amount of insulin as well. So Chris, talk to me about the patients that I see all the time that are coming in with a blood sugar, maybe 300 to 500. They're either asymptomatic or maybe they're here for something related like a UTI or foot wound, um, but they're not in DKA. They are probably not going to get admitted. I want to get their sugar a little bit better controlled, but they have a regimen at home. What do I do in the ED? You're referring to a situation where patients just live at a higher blood glucose. And in those situations, the goal remains the same. So you're hoping to get the patient somewhere between the 140 to 180 range. However, that's not absolutely necessary prior to discharge. Realistically, that may not happen. However, that would be our goal. Now, those patients that live at a higher uh, blood glucose level, you may make them feel slightly uncomfortable. And and that I, from my own personal experience, even coming down to a moderate level of blood glucose after I was diagnosed, it felt really strange, very uncomfortable, a little shaky. So your standard symptoms associated with hypoglycemia, but those goals don't change at all in terms of what we should be attempting to get a patient's blood glucose to. Initiating insulin therapy or at least restarting their home regimen is certainly a great place to start. But trying to get them to that goal prior to discharge, it doesn't seem necessary. Sometimes those patients have been waiting in our ER for eight hours. Maybe they've missed a dose of insulin and I'd like to give them something. I think the standard practice when I was training was like, just give them five of regular insulin or something, which is obviously not ideal. Uh, Any recommendations for how to maybe, you know, maybe give someone a little bit of treatment in the ED? You're speaking about a common and historical practice and the dogma was five or 10 units of regular insulin. And and that just doesn't really, that's not treating the patient as you would, when you're focusing on hyperglycemia, that's not going to do much for us. So in those situations, I generally recommend the use of some kind of correctional sliding scale. Those sliding scales will change depending on what your patient's blood glucose is. So if you have a patient that is slightly above goal, giving them that standard five or 10 units of insulin, that really doesn't treat them adequately. That's actually probably too much if they're just slightly above goal. Now, same story for a patient who's really, really far above goal, say in the three to four or five hundreds. In those situations, giving them that five or 10 units may not be enough to provide them the lowering effect that you're looking for. So that sliding scale will change dynamically based on what their actual needs are for insulin. And so if you have a sliding scale available to you that is commonly utilized within your institution, whether it's inpatient or in the emergency department, I would always recommend the use of that. It provides you safety as well as aggressive management of insulin in situations where it's necessary. 
So the lesson is, if you don't have one already agreed upon in your institution, invest in that now. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Make your life easier for these moments. (laughs) And in general, for those patients, is it better to give sub-Q or is it faster to give IV? You're stuck if you're using rapid-acting insulin, so your Novolog, Humalog, you're stuck using the subcutaneous route. And that is considered to be the gold standard in terms of hyperglycemia management. Now, the old dogma is to use IV because it's faster. It is a fast onset and a fairly short duration. So you're getting, you know, a quick bang for your buck. But with regular insulin, which is the only insulin you can use IV, it's extremely variable in terms of what effects you're getting. And so in some situations, frequently you're getting too much of an effect and you're making a patient hypoglycemic. Or in a lot of situations, it doesn't provide you any benefit and you end up redosing the patient multiple times. And then the onset is extremely variable too. So you may have no effect and then dose stack a few doses on top of that initial dose. And then when the patient gets up and starts walking around and outside of the ED and they're a lot more active, that insulin really starts to kick in and you end up with a hypoglycemic patient who's coming back in because they were found down on the side of the road. So sub-Q, definitely ideal for these patients. Absolutely. Much more predictable. One other question I have is about using the sliding scale in patients who actually already have a regimen. So let's say this is a patient who is going to our ED OBS unit or waiting for an MRI or a consult, and we know they're going to be there for many hours. Is it better just to put somebody on their home regimen, or is it better to start a sliding scale? You know, I feel like I, I always you know, turn to the, it depends answer where it it depends. (laughs) So if you have a situation where you have a a diabetic who has a regimen that's working for them, they're well controlled, or you can see that their labs are, have been pretty consistent over the last several months to years in terms of having like an appropriate A1C, just demonstrating that they have good control of their diabetes in those situations. I think putting them on their home regimen is totally reasonable, right? Because if you are changing their regimen significantly, it's just going to complicate their disposition when you go to discharge them. However, there's many patients out there that are completely uncontrolled or are not following their home regimen. And in those situations where you have your brittle diabetics or you have your your patients who are not adherent or clearly are not taking their medications or insulin, in those situations, it's better just to recreate the wheel using a simplified version that will, you know, help uh, mitigate any potential safety concerns and be aggressive as needed. Okay, so a lot of my kids with type 1 diabetes come in on an insulin pump. What is the best practice when a patient comes into the emergency department and is on a pump, let's say, first of all, for an unrelated issue from diabetes, do you keep the pump going and and push forward with their home regimen? Absolutely, if possible. So pumps offer a really elegant solution to the need for multiple injections throughout the day. And for especially for a pediatric population, less sticks, certainly better. And so If the patient has capacity, if you have a parent that's at bedside that can help and provide guidance in terms of bolus dosing or uh, basal infusions, using the patient's home pump is certainly an excellent option. Now, that comes with its own logistical challenges. How do you determine if they have capacity and in what situations is that appropriate? And so oftentimes this requires a patient provider contract, some kind of written agreement where they can say, yes, I will take control of my own pump and provide myself my own boluses. 
Uh, and that can happen whether it be in the emergency department or it can happen when the patient is admitted. But initiating that process is really important if the patient is going to be admitted, that's for sure. But using the, the patient's own pump offers a continuity in terms of the care they've already been receiving. And it also continues the thing that you know is working, hopefully. And I think you're right there that communication is also really key. I've had patients who, you know, one nurse told them that they should shut the pump off until the doctor came back with a solution or something like that. And then the pump just is off for hours. And then you're dealing with hyperglycemia and a whole load of other problems. So communication with your team, between the nursing, between the patient themselves, between the physician that's taking over for you or the admitting team, making sure everyone's on the same page. Absolutely. Like and just some kind of flag or, or notification within your own electronic medical record where it lets anyone know that's looking at the patient. Because as you mentioned, if you don't document that that pump exists, as soon as that admitting team starts placing orders, they may be stacking more insulin on top of the patient's pump. And so it becomes a major safety concern when you're giving multiple different kinds of insulin on top of their own standard regimen being provided by the pump. Yeah. And so let's say that somebody's sick and comes in with symptoms that their illness is related to their diabetes. What about the pump then? In those situations, especially if they're sick enough where their their mental status is is um, questionable, I think it's it's time to potentially uh, turn off the pump and remove it. The other major issue here is, especially if their critical illness is related to diabetes, is is that pump functioning appropriately. And that may not necessarily be the pump itself, but it could actually be the infusion site too, which is most often the the culprit. So, you know, at the very least turning off the pump and turning to our own solutions for insulin therapy, basal insulin plus sliding scale in those situations, that's probably a good place to start. And then we can start evaluating whether the pump is working appropriately or if the infusion site is wrong or bad or infected for that matter. And so Absolutely. I think the situations where one, patients are critically ill and it's questionable whether the pump is actually working appropriately, or two, if their their mental status is not appropriate to manage that pump themselves. Another device that my type 1 diabetic patients often come in with is Dexcom, and that's the ability to monitor their glucose continuously. I mean, it's so incredible. It feels like such a huge game changer in my career. Can we use those if a patient has one? So Dexcom and other continuous glucose monitors are excellent tools. These are implantable devices that stay attached to the patient as like a patch system that provide continuous information, whether by scanning the patch with your phone or having it Bluetooth connected directly to your phone. And so these type of devices have really revolutionized, especially home management of, of type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And as you mentioned, mostly this is type 1, but you're going to be seeing a lot more type 2 diabetics coming in on these, these type of devices. They are clinically proven over time to reduce A1C. And so these are excellent options for patients. They reduce the need for finger sticks almost to none at all. And in most situations, especially in a pediatric population, that's certainly going to improve adherence to medication therapies. Man, that is so cool. This is like why I love medicine. That's such a neat innovation. Absolutely. So to your question, yes, you can use them, but no. 
Ah. And the, the problem, <laughs> the problem is that they're not as accurate as they need to be in order to guide your therapy. There are definitely scenarios, and myself included, where you have aberrant readings where you just you can't trust it, and so they're not as accurate as they need to be for you to use them. And so, in a situation where you're basing critical life saving therapies on these type of values, you don't want to trust something that you can't trust. So realistically, you can use them to kind of guide yourself, but you need a POC to a point of care blood glucose to to really know what the right answer is to the clinical question. So if somebody came in for something unrelated, they're not here for severe hyperglycemia um, or, you know, bordering on DKA or anything like that. Is it okay to kind of go by their Dexcom reading? As long as you're not administering insulin or if there's other symptoms that are concerning for hyper or hypoglycemia. If you're not going to be managing or monitoring their blood glucose, then just using their Dexcom to, to kind of help ensure that you're on the right path or that you don't need further monitoring seems appropriate. But I wouldn't be basing any major decision-making on Dexcom. Do we have a UC Davis-specific policy for that? Like, how does UC Davis approach Dexcoms in the emergency department? There is no policy that specifically states that you can or can't use them. They're just not FDA approved for the management of patients. Got it. They should stay in place. They certainly should be documented as being a, quote, implantable device. So that way everyone knows that they're there. Most institutions don't have policies saying you can or cannot use these. So I often have patients who have not really followed up with a PCP for whatever reason, and they're coming in with what's likely a new diagnosis of diabetes. And oftentimes they are stable and I want to be able to send them out. Obviously, the goal is to get them plugged in without patient follow-up. But should I consider starting insulin from the ED? These can be tricky. And initiating insulin therapy in the emergency department is problematic because these patients need education. And that's one thing that I took away from my own experience here is that the amount of education and knowledge and, and real like close follow-up that these patients require, in a lot of cases, they're not getting. And I think the emergency department is a situation where that could potentially happen. So if a patient does not have a really high blood glucose, so if they're less than 180, I don't think that initiating insulin therapy is necessary. Um, if you have an A1C, again, that's greater than 10 in that situation, it's unfortunately time to start considering insulin therapy. But if they're not meeting any of those requirements, I think it's totally reasonable to potentially start a safe oral option such as metformin and getting them uh, getting them set up with a follow-up for, for initiating other therapies if necessary. Beyond that, starting therapies that could potentially cause hypoglycemia in a patient who may or may not have follow-up, such as like a sulfonylurea. In those situations, I just don't think that it's appropriate to get those started unless we know the patient is plugged in for follow-up. So again, if they haven't met that 180 uh, criteria, if they're uh, below that, and if they have an A1C that is below 10, in those situations, I don't think it's necessary to start insulin. And this is something I've really loved at UC Davis is that we've actually created a pathway in our ED OBS unit for hyperglycemia. So for those patients who are above 180 or who have an A1C that's high that we're able to get, we actually keep them over in our OBS unit, have our inpatient glycemic team see them, do a lot of education with them. And usually within 24 hours, they can be discharged with a full plan. Any other advice or final thoughts for us? I think that that most 
especially new providers, um, but in some cases, some some seasoned veterans of the emergency department sometimes feel really uncomfortable with insulin therapy. And so I think that we have so many resources available to us, whether that be endocrinology or a pharmacist or an inpatient provider or a hospitalist that may feel a lot more comfortable with these type of things. And so I think resources, utilizing resources appropriately in these situations, such as like an order set, are really helpful because we recreating the wheel in the situation, that's kind of when we find ourselves getting into trouble. Events of hypoglycemia are very common in the emergency department. And so if you have a patient who has shown the propensity for hypoglycemia, or if you are being really aggressive with insulin management, I think adding on appropriate monitoring parameters and PRNs for oral or IV uh, dextrose is a really important initial step to ensure that safety is being paid attention to and that we can treat hypoglycemia as soon as it's identified. Well, I think this has been really helpful, and I know I will be a little better prepared for my next shift, so thanks, Chris. 